Before we begin, a disclaimer. This podcast is for information only. I am not a mental health or medical professional, nor are my guests unless otherwise stated. My guests and I do not speak for or represent any recovery programs or workshops. I do not sell ads on this podcast, and I do not make any money from it. And finally, I want to warn you that some episodes may contain content about emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, which some listeners may find triggering or dysregulating. Hello, and welcome to the Loving Parent Podcast. If you're new here, this is where we explore the ideas of becoming our own loving parents and reparenting our trauma to build resilience. If you've been here before, welcome back. My name is Brita, and I'm your host. All right, folks, we're back with Scotty this episode, and we're going to continue with his life story. And this time, we're going to get more and more into his recovery and reparenting journey. So, Scotty, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. We talked a little bit last time about uh, your high school experiences. I want to start today with how and why did you leave home? What was your impetus? Well, I, I hated my family. <laughs> <laughs> when my needs met, I felt neglected, abandoned, completely mm-hmm. misunderstood, very disconnected. And I got in touch with a book called The Road Less Traveled. And, oh, uh, Scott, good one. Scott Peck's, yeah, book. And that completely changed my life almost instantly. That was even before Bradshaw. But I read The Road Less Traveled as if it were like my Bible. Uh-huh. And uh it was so validating and so real and so raw that I just knew I was in the wrong family and that uh, it really was a divine mistake that I, I was raised in there at all. And I just set out on a journey to create a new family um, very imperfectly. But yeah, I knew that I didn't want to try to fit in anymore. All right. Now you said you went to the teen recovery program. Did you pretty much stay in recovery after that? I did. Yeah, I, I, I've been raised by my uh, recovery groups. All right. I like to hear that. That's that's a great way to put it. What was your experience with drugs and alcohol personally? Well, I definitely enjoyed probably drinking more than anything. I definitely got into my father's liquor cabinet more than a few times. About and what age do you think? 16. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I pretty much... I mean, before that, I was pretty afraid to do it. And then mostly because of peers doing it. And it wasn't so much peer pressure. We just, just wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. wanted to have fun on a Saturday night. Just learned, you know, that we could have a lot more fun with, with pot was a big also. I, I never really liked marijuana too much, but I definitely would, would do it with friends on the, when they had it. And um, mm-hmm. definitely alcohol was probably front and center. Right. So really no experimenting with hallucinogenics or things like cocaine. Not really. No, a little later, a little bit, but nothing. I've done just that stuff once or twice in my life. So, yeah. Right. So after you left home, did you continue your education? Did you go on to college? Not really. I took some classes in college and just realized that I'm, I was more wanting to explore 
entrepreneurship, um, being a business owner and just felt like, you know, the, the school that I, I just wasn't getting spiritually was, I wasn't getting what I needed as well. Also, I, when I went to college, I didn't have a particular focus. I did study communications for a while and I knew I wanted to, you know, be a business owner and all that. So I didn't spend that many years, too many years in college. Okay. And have you been able to put together businesses and, and live out that part of your dream? Uh, yes, I, I have owned businesses, um, not to the successful extent I would have liked, <laughs> but I certainly, um, yeah, I, I had a business for three years recently that, that ended, and I certainly do a lot of marketing and sales in my current position right now. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of different projects, especially you know, writing a book and all that, which I will market. So yeah, I believe in the entrepreneurial mode of living and, uh, I have to nurture that. I'm, I'm uh, in other support groups to just gather information on success principles. And I'm always studying mm. something. Yeah. All right. Let's go back and talk about your early experiences in recovery. Did you work the 12 steps early on? I did. With I had a, uh, some peers and, and different sponsors and different things. I did. I worked the steps mostly with peers and, and it was... Um, I'd say I would do it and then take a break. That's kind of how mm-hmm. I do the steps. Yeah. Well, it can be really intense. So I understand. I, I don't think that's uncommon for people to feel that way. Right. What was your first, what you would consider a spiritual awakening? Well, I, I think reading, reading books that really, the road less traveled, I actually finally left home. I was living in a beautiful kind of a country home. And I remember just reading that book and being, you know, just, almost birthed in terms of who I knew I was meant to be and say most of my experiences were around, you know, discovery of my, my true self. And, uh, do I've been a meditator for most of my life. I've Mm. seek altered states. Um, I definitely have had some very powerful, like out of body journey experiences. Um, so those were very spontaneous. Usually I, although I can do practices for that now, but I think nature always really called me and I would have mm-hmm. some profound experiences in nature as well. But I'm, it's hard to quantify, oh, I had this experience at this time. It's right. more like I've, I've had them all along the way. You know, mm-hmm. that's like this sort of a lifestyle of, of exploration. And then sometimes you reach a place of, you know, this is my yeah. false self. Look at that. I'm, I'm, I'm letting this, I'm, I've been grieving this false self. And now I can birth this new sense of myself, which is kind of, you know, it's a process of kind of dying to the ego and letting go of these parts that were never really my true self. Right. In what ways have you seen your childhood patterns replay in adulthood? Well, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Take all the time you want. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I could take a few hours. Well, I think in relationships, one of my teachers said that we're set up for pathological relationships because of abuse, abandonment, neglect, Mm -hmm. and enmeshment. And I think about that statement a lot because relationships are sort of the hardest to maintain because of my dysfunctional upbringing and not knowing how to be intimate, not always being comfortable with intimacy, not having a good identity, good sense of self. And the communication skills I'm, I'm learning now in, in a, a vast way. I, I'm just out there with all kinds of 
different support groups, but it's taken me years to, to get to a point where I, I feel like I can communicate effectively and uh, ask for needs and wants to be met, self-assertion, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So probably the way it acted, I think mostly would be just hurtful relationships and then abandonment, you know, a lot of broken down relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what I see with mine. It, it just affected every relationship I had and mm-hmm. still does in some ways, even though I've been in recovery a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Those old patterns, you know, it's just like, well, it is part of the neuron pathways that were laid down when we were kids. And they're very hard to work around and to try to lay down new ones. It's not impossible, but it is hard. It is. There's these, this word came to mind about a year ago, schemas. Oh, yes. Schematics. And Mm -hmm. um, boy, I've been studying all about schemas and there's even schema therapy out there to deal with the core beliefs of who we are. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. That's it. It's it in a nutshell. What happens because of trauma affects how I feel and what I believe about myself. And that is a lifelong journey to change that. Right. I mean, what I've noticed is my responses to situations that I relate to my old traumas, I can feel in the form of the stress hormones. So when I feel myself starting to get agitated or defensive, that tells me I'm back into one of those old stress responses. I can't always interrupt it. I can't always stop it. But I have been able to go back to some people and make amends for what I've said and done and try to explain to them, this is this is what happens when I start feeling attacked or uh, accused. Yeah, I feel... I have felt very powerless over my traumatic stress responses and really just it's been a year since I've really understood like every time I'm in a trauma stress pattern, at least I know to kind of halt and not continue the, the momentum that would keep it going. Right. I wanted to ask you about a book that you've referenced several times when I've heard you talk. Uh, I think it's called Mother Hunger. Yes. What did you get out of that? What What has been really meaningful for you? Yeah, it's interesting. The book is written for women, mm-hmm. but having come from incredible depths of deprivation, uh, not being touched enough, not being held, any of that, not, not feeling any secure attachment ever, mm-hmm. um, the book has been incredibly validating that this is not about me. I mean, that my defective feelings were about that deprivation, not because I'm a defect. Right. I'm a problem child. This is, this is like science. She uses a lot of science to back up her data. Like Alice Miller was one of my you know teachers for years, and she oh, described emotional trauma, mm-hmm. but she didn't use a lot of science to back it up. She did some, but... Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like she had the hypotheses and then science came along a few years later and started to validate her hypotheses. I think she was ahead of her time. Mother Hunger has been an incredible uh, source of validation and it's been a healing to understand, you know, the science behind this deprivation. And also I'm just just starting out a third of a way done with it. Well, it's one that I have on my list. I haven't actually purchased it and put it in the Kindle yet, but it's it's definitely on my list because I've heard a couple of women talk about it as well. And they said it was just, like you said, incredibly validating. Mm. 
So what are some of the other tools that you have used in your recovery as an adult child? And feel free to elaborate on these as much as you'd like. Yeah, I think writing has been pretty powerful, doing a journal. Um, mm-hmm. I've kept journals for, for years. Sometimes I burn out and take a year off of journaling, but I always go back to uh, you know writing as a, a source of a way of connecting with myself, a way of organizing my thoughts, a way of catharsis of emotion. Mm -hmm. I'd say writing, um, very important. I also um, record myself and I make recordings of of where I'm at in my my journey, but also I do work with affirmations and um, Mm -hmm. I'll record, even like John Bradshaw originally had a book about homecoming, welcoming. Mm, I remember that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a beautiful meditation recording that I did for, you know, for my own inner child, welcoming, welcoming him into the world. And so that's something I did every day, virtually for probably about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, other tools? Well, I think, I think outreach uh, is huge, you know, making sure I have lots of co-travelers on the path. Right. And, um, I do a lot of service work. I do try to give back what I've learned and support others. Um, Reaching out is a huge part of just keeping the, the flow of information going and supporting others is very meaningful. You know, that book, Man's Search for Meaning, mm-hmm. uh, who talks about the way we overcome our suffering is by actually helping other people in need. Right. So Victor Frankl had a big impact on me. So I've been very service-oriented most of my life, wanting mm-hmm. to give and uh, enjoying giving and finding a lot of fulfillment. Um in giving, um, hasn't paid a lot of money. Well, <laughs> and it, no. <laughs> and it, shouldn't. it shouldn't, but, uh, sometimes I need to focus actually on making money, which is right. a hard thing for me to do at times. Yeah. Of programming. Yeah. So you've talked a couple of times that I've heard about this kind of alternate, alternate family that you formed. I think you call it a pod. Yeah. Yeah. One of the tools I do every day is, um, we get together for 45 minutes and we uh, check in and then ask really two questions to our inner child. One is usually more of a, maybe a a deeper, heavier trauma based question. And then the second would be a lighter one. And it's a, it's a very jam packed 45 minutes. It's, it's been amazing. And we have it on a conference call Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, there's been about, Maybe 40, 40, 50 people involved in that on and off. Wow. That's good sized. I thought it was going to be more like maybe 15 people. But oh, that's... actually, no. Right, right now, I mean, overall, we just, the people. Oh, okay. I mean, I'd say we average about three to five. It's pretty small, actually, right now. Oh, okay. Nine or 10 on the phone. But uh, right now, it's pretty small. And, and it's just, it's a really good uh, inner child check-in. It's, it's a, a great way to just connect and hear other people sharing where they're at. And uh, yeah. it's been two years. Um, I've been doing this for almost two years. And COVID was traumatic for, for all of us. Yes. And I decided, well, I'm going to need some extra support during this time. And so I was called to to put this together. And uh, it's, been, it's been amazing to to have uh, friends that, that I really have gotten to know over two years in, in a very deep intimate way mm-hmm. um and so it's something i will 
always cherish this inner child activation pod. We call it an activation pod because it's, mm. it's helping us to activate and get in touch with our inner child. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I always used writing for that. And a lot, I did a lot of opposite handwriting where mm. my child talked to me with my non-dominant hand, and then I would talk back with my dominant hand. And I found that really helpful too. Yeah, I like I've the done that exercise as well. It's, it's very impactful, and I've always gotten information do, doing it. It's always been mm-hmm. uh, it's highly instructive to, to, to connect with my child. Yeah. What I really like about this pod idea is what you said about intimacy. I can't think of a better way to start learning how to develop intimacy in a safe place. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a a great idea. I hope some people can pick up on that. Um, Yes, it is a daily pod and we do it at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And yeah, we welcome newcomers. Okay. Good. Well, we'll put some information in the podcast notes for how people can contact the pod if they're interested. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, let's stay in the recovery vein. I know one of my biggest topics and one of the things that I've focused on the most has been reparenting. From the very, very beginning, I realized that parenting always works. We always treat ourselves the way our parents treated us. And undoing that to me is the process of reparenting and figuring out what to put in its place. So what has been your reparenting journey? How have you approached that? Yeah, long and and arduous here. Um, Still on the path of firing my critical parent um, Mm -hmm. for good. Mm I. I like the word reconstruction, but there's a lot of deconstruction that has mm-hmm. to happen before reconstruction. And right. So this paradigm of, you know, internalizing, um, really like I was really my own perpetrator. I, I really did a lot of damage to myself. Right. That's you what know. we were trained to do. Yes. Yeah. So I became an enemy of, of myself pretty early in my life. And, um, but also not understanding the dynamics of how that's, you know, we, we take on really those messages that we're not responsible. I'm, I was not responsible for that. So I would say the most important thing I'm learning is gentleness, mm-hmm. humor, love, and respect. Those four words are really powerful. I love those words. I use them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just practice this unconditional acceptance, you know, on a regular basis. And I hold my heart. Mm-hmm. I just say, I forgive myself and I, I hold myself in, in, in reverence. And that's a practice that's getting better and easier. And I'm feeling more and more um, worthy of my own self-love and practicing extreme self-care. That's the only extreme I want in my life is self-care. Right. And uh, because of the the seeds of love that are being sown, I am definitely taking a lot better care of myself than I used to. What would you say are your biggest self-care challenges? Yeah, it's, it's, I have uh, chronic fatigue, so mm. that's due to my trauma and right. due to some real health. I mean, I raised myself on saltines and milk. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, that's not nutrition-based. Saltines no. and milk are not nutrition-based. No. <laughs> so throw the spam in there and uh, macaroni and cheese. And yeah. you can see what my digestion probably looks like today. Yeah. Um, not good. Not good. So I'd still say, you know, reparenting. My biggest challenges are, you know, getting enough sleep. Although I've really gotten, like, I, I allow myself to get eight-plus hours um, right. But if I'm in a trigger response, then I may not be sleeping well. Or, but mm-hmm. uh, I think balance, the word balance just comes back to me because there's a lot of regulation that goes on that needs to go on and things that I never used to regulate. You know, I, I didn't ever really um, think about exercise. Now I'm getting older. So, you know, exercise is really important um, mm-hmm. for me to keep my energy up, my depression at bay, you know, and, and just reparenting challenges are the negative critical thoughts that are, are you know they're they can rear their ugly head in in times i don't expect it right you know they really do i, I was dating a, a woman and didn't it, it wasn't going well and then it ended and boy did i beat myself up you know ferociously uh. for about a month and i was already practicing loving parenting and having some pretty good success at, yeah. at feeling feeling my loving parent got into a relationship that went south and then my critical parent just took over for about a month so it, it, those challenges sudden interruption of experiences mm-hmm. things that i'm not prepared for and then i go into shutdown dose collapse mode and then the old tapes are, are right there to to greet me every morning and throughout yeah. the day. Yeah, that was another term that i think our listeners would benefit from an explanation for dorsal collapse yeah, uh, studying the nervous system has been a game changer for me. I, mm-hmm. and we all have a nervous system, but I grew up never knowing about my nervous system. It just right. ran me. It ran every part of me, and I didn't understand. Um, yeah, Steve Porges, the founder of Polyvagal Theory, has definitely changed mm-hmm. my life. And yeah. Deb Dana, Deb Dana I, I really value her work. She's break, broken down Steve's work and made it a bit more digestible. Um, mm-hmm. I would say... I still shut down today, but nothing at the level I used to. And then I'm a lot more gentle when I'm in these places of dorsal collapse, knowing that they're biological and not mm-hmm. psychological. Yes, there's psychological components to shutting down if I don't feel safe, but there's a biological part of my body that wants to go into the cave. And that right. is something I have to work with, you know, and, and nurture myself and Literally, like I've been coaxing my inner child out of the cave for mm-hmm. decades. Uh, he right. was deep down in there, you know, the center of the earth type of a cave. And so, dorsal collapse has different levels to it, and um, certainly trauma um, experiences can can put me there today. And um, you know, then we've got now what they call the social engagement mm-hmm. stage. So, if I'm in a dorsal collapse stage, you know, what I want to do is begin to find support for that right. when I'm in there, meaning talking, trusting, and feeling with people that really care about me, that usually know me. Um, that's how I counteract it. Right. How long does it take you to figure out you're in one of those stages? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. I, I think before I studied polyvagal, I, I think I was there all the time. Now that mm-hmm. I'm studying it, and also I've started two other meetings on trauma, um, that I just, you know, I'm, there's a language that I'm, I'm learning here. And so mm-hmm. I'm not alone. There's a lot of people I collaborate with mm-hmm. that I do service work around trauma issues, trauma issues as well. Um, 
it, it did, I can't quantify it so much. Like recently my van went down and I'm definitely yeah. feeling, I'm feeling entrapped, you know, in my house right now. I don't have a reliable vehicle and that's triggering a little bit of, um, you know, dorsal collapse in me, but, but I'm, it's not, it's not devastating the way it used to be. When I was right. in dorsal collapse before, um, I would go all the way down and, and I wouldn't have any sort of strategies or know what to do to get out of it. So now I feel like I'm prepared for dorsal collapse more. I know my triggers better. I know mm-hmm. that if I'm in a relationship that's got abandonment written all over it, um, I'm going to personalize that knowing my traumatic history and right. limbic brain impairment issues. So I, I have better ways of managing it than I ever had before. Yeah. That sounds I might be excellent. In, I might be in a dose of collapse for a few hours, um, half a day versus mm-hmm. three days or four days if I really had a traumatic event. Yeah. Yeah, that's really progress. That really is. So one of the things that we had talked about prior to starting our interview was a new book that's come out from one of the fellowships called The Loving Parent Guidebook. And I know that you were one of the first people that I knew of to get a copy. What do you think of that book? Yes, um, it's, it's an amazing book. I decided I didn't want to read it alone. Um, and so I waited. Um, and now I'm in a, a group um, on Monday nights. We have a group. And it's, a, it's a wonderful. I know a lot of the people in there. I've known people there for a long time. Did a step study with that group, too. So mm-hmm. um, I'm very excited to do it with my peers. And um, I did been doing a check-in practice for about eight months, and uh, it's been life-changing. Just just hearing people talk to their inner child with with love and in, in grace and forgiveness, and and the key word is enthusiasm. When when mm. when, I've heard, when I've heard other peers talk to their inner child with with this enthusiasm, I, I it's really sparked my inner child. It's mm-hmm. helped me come alive. It's what I never had. I just felt so unimportant. And the enthusiasm of which people parent themselves is, is life-changing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if we'd all had enthusiastic parents? Mm-hmm. I mean, mine were not. They were of the, the generation and the mold that said, you are our responsibility. We will provide for you. And we'll make sure you get blah, blah, blah experiences. And that's kind of it. Mm. I didn't see a lot of joy in parenting from, from my folks. Yes. All right. Before we leave today, before we end, I want to ask you about the book you mentioned a while ago that you are in the process of putting together. What, what is this book you're writing? Yeah, it's, it's all about uh, connecting with my own child. It's about awakening, and I feel it's, I'll be honest, I've had some blocks lately with my trauma history piecing together. Um, I do have a ghostwriter that's helping me with it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about my inner child awakening journey, and it is describing a lot of the tools, including the activation pod, and um, it's a, I'm actually in, installing some art into it now, and I love photography, and so I'm putting some things in there that that light my fire and, and make it so it's not just a text. It's not mm-hmm. just a, a dry uh, monologue. It's it's more like rich and alive with, with different pictures that really help awaken my inner child and visualizations and affirmations and things that okay. I 
and even reparenting is part of this. But I'm excited to continue to write it. Good. That sounds really, really interesting. I can't wait for you to get done with it. And when you do, we will include that in the program notes of whatever episode I'm recording when I find out about it. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. All right. I think that our time is up for today. I have learned a lot about you and even more about the science of recovery from this interview. And I can't even tell you how appreciative I am that you've taken the time to join us today. Thank you so much, Brita, for doing this. And I know that this is going to reach a lot of people. I'm excited for this forum uh, to, to make its way out into the world. Great. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining me for this episode. It was produced by me, Brita Firm, and edited by Vaughn David. Our music is by Emmanuel Wilde. If you like what you heard, please leave a positive review and tell a friend. Also, tap subscribe and notifications so you won't miss a single episode. Remember, as you walk your reparenting path, you can take your time. You deserve all the love you want, and my love goes with you.